love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We have come into your house today, Lord, to exalt your name. We lift our hearts to you today, Lord, our hands and our voices. We exalt the mighty name of Jesus. For you are great and greatly to be praised, Lord. There is none that is like unto you. What a great and a mighty God you are, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us. You loved us in our sins, Lord. You died for us, Lord. You gave us an opportunity to come into your presence, to stand before you and to feel the joy and the presence of God Almighty. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you today, God, and we are so appreciative. In the name of Jesus. One day, Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. But today, God, we worship you. With a free heart and a free will, we magnify you, Jesus. In the name of the Lord, hallelujah. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Such a wonderful presence of God in this house today. I turn your attention to the book of John, chapter 5. We begin our reading in verse 1. So thankful for each and every one of you that have come today and joined all of us to be able to come together, one mind and one accord, worshiping God. There's something powerful about corporate worship. Yes, you can pray in your home and you can even pray in your car driving to work. But the Bible makes it clear that there's power whenever God's people are unified together. Bible say one can put to flight a thousand, but two can put to flight ten thousand. I don't know what spirit may be coming against your family, your marriage, your children, your home, your finances, but with all of us joined together here today, there is nothing that can withstand men and women joined together in the power, the unity of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! There is victory in the house of God. Well, thank you, Jesus. John chapter 5 and verse 1, we're continuing our series, the message that is in the miracles of Christ. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. The Bible doesn't say what specific feast it was, but the fact that it just refers to it as a feast of the Jews most likely was the Passover. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And there lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? I submit to you today that the Lord is still asking each of us that same question. Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man 
when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, saith unto him, That was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole. The same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Being interpreted is, Take it up with him. Verse 14, Afterward, Jesus findeth him, the man that was healed, in the temple, saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. The text that I read to you this morning is filled with that phrase about being made whole. Much more than just the healing of his lame legs. Jesus made him whole. I want to talk to you this morning on the completeness of Christ. The completeness of Christ. Would you bow your heads but lift your voices. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that we feel in this house today. And Lord, we're asking now, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the power of the name of Jesus, that once again the waters would be troubled. And once again the power of God Almighty would be felt among your people. I pray, God, that your spirit would help us, would enable us to be made whole. Give us courage, Lord, to step into the water and to be completely cured in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. I am not sure if you are like this, but I like things to be completed. I am not comfortable with a lot of loose ends. I like things to be sort of finished, you know, buttoned up, completed, finalized. I love this about the nature of Christ. He completes things. He sees things through to the finish line. There's a lot of people that will sell you something and tell you they're going to be your best friend for life, and as soon as you can pay them and you're out the door, they forget all about you. I'm glad to tell you, Jesus Christ doesn't just save you at the point of salvation, but he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother every day of your life. And when it's all said and done, and the cemetery's got your money, and everything has been dispersed to your heirs, God still doesn't leave you. One day there's going to be a trump that sounds from the angel Gabriel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. God is a God, hallelujah, that not only completes it in this journey, but in the journey to come, he's still going to be the one that's going to be there leading us, guiding us, and taking us through. He is a complete God. This miracle, the setting for it is, of course, the city of Jerusalem at this time of the feast. Ever aware of the needy souls that are around him, Jesus makes his way to the pool of Bethesda near the sheep market. Been there couple of times myself the name literally means the house of mercy and there lay a great multitude of sick people that would gather in this particular area blind crippled withered and among the most desperate of all uh, were those obviously that were lame that could not 
get to the water. This was a man who had been an invalid for some 38 years. No doubt time and again he had tried to avail himself of these healing waters bubbling up from an underground spring. But without success, disappointed, frustrated, he laid there unable to move. But then the Lord Jesus appeared on the scene. I'm so glad that the Lord makes house calls. The Lord Jesus appeared on the scene and spoke words which instantly brought about a complete cure. Now, if you'd like to follow along, in your bulletin is an outline. I want to talk to you about these words that he spoke because I believe today that God is still speaking these kinds of words into the hearts of men and women that are hungry for a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first thing that we find is that the Lord Jesus spoke the word of divine diagnosis. Look at verse 6. Will thou be made whole? Now, I know that's old King James language, but if we break this down, he is basically saying, do you know what is really wrong with you? Do you want to be rid of this complaint? He asked those piercing eyes of the Lord Jesus, looking down beyond the external, beyond just that that most men would see on the outside. But he has this question that brought to the home of this man's heart just what his condition was. And I believe that through this question that the words that the Savior spoke revealed at least three specific things. Number one, it revealed the health that he needed. Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in this case. Verse 6, sin ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, affects physical health. And Jesus Christ coupled this man's malady with his sinful life. He literally says later on in verse 14 that I read to you in our text, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Those were his parting words to him when he saw him in the temple later on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sickness does not all spring from sin. When you read in John chapter 9, the disciples even asked Jesus, who had sinned? This was a total different setting. This was a total different condition. This was a man who was dealing with blindness. And the disciples asked Jesus, who had sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, neither, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Some things just happen to our body, and they are an opportunity for our faith to increase and for the Lord to receive glory. If you've ever been sick in your life, if you think, Lord, this is a great opportunity for you to do a mighty miracle and for you to receive all the praise. You are giving God the opportunity, if it is his will, to move into that situation. I had the opportunity on Saturday morning. I felt compelled. I was at the men's conference in Ocala, but I felt compelled when I woke up Saturday morning about 7.30 to drive to Tallahassee and to see my good friend, Pastor Larry Sims' father, who's totally eaten up with cancer and uh, who's only been given a few months to live and all the cancer is inoperable and, and it's all throughout his body. It's on his lungs and liver and kidneys and brain and bones and and they can't do anything else for him and and I, I just woke up and I said to my sons what do you guys think about driving to Tallahassee today they're like yeah sure that's great we'll go see Uncle Larry that's what they call Brother Sims Uncle Larry so I, I said okay let's do it so I got in the car and started driving 
to Tallahassee. And then I thought, you know, I should at least tell Brother Sims that I'm coming. And so I called him and I said, hey, I just felt compelled to come up there. He goes, well, you won't believe this, but last night he almost died. We are taking him to the hospital right now. And I said, well, that must have been the Lord. I'm on my way there. I'm north of, I think I was around Lake City at that time, and I'm headed your direction. So we met them at the hospital Saturday morning. And when we got to the hospital, they were, they were checking him in. And uh, I had a chance to spend some time talking with him. And he was telling me about when he was in the Korean War, and he was a, you know, a tanker, and he ran a tank and was a mechanic on a tank. He, anyhow, he was reminiscing all about uh, when he was much younger, and I spent a couple hours with him. They finally got him in a hospital room. When he got him in a hospital room, uh, I was uh, back in the lobby with the boys, getting them uh, squared away. But then Brother Sims came out, and he said, my dad wants you to come and pray. So Brother Sims and I went into this hospital room with just his dad and me and, and Pastor Sims, who is, is his son. And we just started praying, and we prayed for a little while, and then I heard Brother Sims' father start saying, Lord, you know, I just thank you. And he started going through his life of all the things the Lord had done and the Lord had blessed him and how he didn't deserve this. And, and I was praying and I was listening to this man who is, unless the Lord heals him, only, you know, has a little bit of time left. And I was listening to him talk and he's sharing all this with the Lord. and He's just praying from his heart and he's saying, Lord, you know, you've been good to me and you bless me and my children and this, and he named a time when he didn't have a job, and God, and he was just going through almost his whole life, his mind just was incredibly sharp, and he's going through all of these things, and then he got, and he paused, I'll never forget this as long as I live, he paused, and he said, but Lord, I really need you right now, oh, I feel goosebumps just saying it, he said, Lord, I really need you right now, this would be a great opportunity, <laughs> Woo! This would be a great opportunity for you to be healing me and for this to be a great witness to my family and those that are not saved. And Lord, if you would, I promise you, I'd give you all the praise. Boy, I tell you, we felt the Holy Ghost. We started speaking in tongues in that hospital room. I don't know if it's God's will to heal him or not, but I know one thing. If you've ever been sick, you ought to tell God, this is a great opportunity for you to heal me. Sickness doesn't all come from sin. Some things are just an opportunity for the work of God to be made manifest. And ladies and gentlemen, some things are just life. I wish that God would heal Brother Leroy Burroughs right now. I wish that he'd raise him up and destroy all this cancer. Once again, he's in a place where they can't operate on him. And his brain is all full of cancer. They've only given him uh, days or weeks to live. He's for 30 years cleaned this church. Every day he was down here cleaning this church. I pray today that God raises him up right now. In fact, we ought to stand to our feet. I feel the Holy Ghost. We ought to pray for Brother Leroy Burroughs. Lift your voice right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. By the authority of the Word of God. And the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I pray, God, that you'd raise him up just like you did this lame man. You're greater than any cancer. You're greater than any disease. You're greater than any sickness. We believe in you, Lord. We believe right now that you can dispatch ministering spirits to that room. And you can do a miracles that the doctors can't explain. You are greater. You are bigger. You are more powerful. 
In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you for it, Lord. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've not lost no power. You've not lost one ounce of power. You're still the creator of these bodies. You're still the creator of the universe. In the name of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. I was talking to Brother at the men's conference on Friday night. I was talking to Brother Warren, who's, who's got cancer in his body. He's been going up. He pastored down Okeechobee. He's been going up to Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. He's got cancer. I don't even know why I'm on all this. I just feel the Holy Ghost. I'm going to go with it. He's got cancer all through his body, and he keeps going to the Mayo Clinic. I was talking to him. I said, how are you doing? He looked good. He was at the men's conference. His color was good. Seemed like he had strength and all that. And I said, Brother Warren, how are you doing? He said, well, he said, I'm going back up to Mayo Clinic up in Jacksonville next week. He said, they got some sort of a new uh, drug or something. He said, he said, here's the problem. He said, cancer keeps figuring out a new way to beat the drugs. He said, your cancer... And he said, they've had to explain all this to me. And it's not just the kind of cancer that he has. I guess it's cancer as a whole. But he said, the cancer can figure out what kind of a medicine is being given and, and how it's trying to resist the growth of the cancer. And the cancer metastasizes and reproduces and, and, and forms different kinds of cells. And within those cells is, 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 is the ability to circumvent whatever that particular drug is that's being given. It literally can educate itself as it goes along. And so hospitals and doctors, and he was explaining this to me, and I was fascinated by it. It's one reason why they're having such a difficult time curing cancer is because it, it, has a, it has a way of kind of working around. And so they give this medicine for a while, and then it builds up an immune to it, and it doesn't affect it anymore, and it learns how to circumvent it. And then they, they have to create a different kind of drug that has, a, has different properties and affects it, cancer differently. The, so then they try that one for a while, and the cancer works around, and it's almost like a chess match back and forth between the doctors and the cancer, and it keeps trying to figure out a new way and a new way. And as he was telling me that, I said to myself, you know what, but there has been one thing that has been given to humanity that has never had to be improved upon, and cancer has never been able to figure out how to get around it. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost saying this to somebody. I don't know what you came in here today with, but I've come to tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I've come to tell you that one drop of blood from Calvary can heal your body. One drop of blood can save your soul. It's greater than any cancer cell. Some things are just life. They just happen. These machines are bodies. These bodies are machines, rather. And they just, they just wear out after a while. Things just, you know, they just start breaking down. It's just life. I think part of it is the Lord wants us to know that death is not the final chapter. That's why a lot of times we don't have funeral services around here. We have home-going services. Because our world, our hope is not just in what all we can suck out of 70, 80, 90, or 100 years on this planet. 
We're believing that God is going to see us through to eternity. And so when somebody has walked with God and their body is wore out, hallelujah, God's going to give us an incorruptible body. So not all sickness comes from sin. Ladies and gentlemen, all sin will bring sickness. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and eventually death. That's what 1 Corinthians 11.30 tells us. When you give yourself to sin over and over and over again, it takes a toll on your body, on your mind, and on your emotions. But the complete nature of Christ is that he can and will heal all aspects of sin. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Some may say, well, you're just always going to be that way. You're going to have to just learn to live with it. They'll tell you, you know, this can happen. You can be saved, but you're going to always have this uh, side effects. Or you're always going to have this kind of a, of a situation. I've come to tell you that with Jesus Christ, it's not that way. He not only can heal your body, he can heal your mind. He can heal your emotion. He can heal your spirit. Hallelujah. He can make you a new creature in Christ Jesus because he is a complete cure. From the top of your head, head to the sole of your feet. He's not only, to this man, he was not only the help that he needed, but when he spoke these words, he was the help that he needed. He said, sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, sin not only affects you physically, it also affects your social life. Here was someone who was alone and lonely. No one would pity him or help him. Perhaps his manner of sinful living had turned even his best friends against him. But like the psalmist David, when he cried and said, no man cared for my soul in Psalms 142, the scriptures show that though there is a confederacy of sin, the time comes when sin separates even worldly friends from each other. Let me say that again. It makes it clear that there's a confederacy of sin or a common denominator oftentimes that brings people together through sinful activities. There also comes a time when sin separates even worldly friends from each other. The story of the prodigal son illustrates this. The Bible says that when he was in need, and I quote, no man gave unto him. Jesus not only heals you, he helps you. I hope you can see this. He not only heals you, he helps you. He'll give you the right family. You'll say, my mama was alcoholic, my dad was drunk. I'm going to tell you what, God will give you a family that's bigger than any family you've ever seen. That's why we call each other brother and sister. <laughs> brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. We're not just doing that through semantics. It's because we found a family. We found brothers and sisters that'll stick together through thick and thin. God will give you a family that loves you. You don't ever have to be alone again. He'll put you right in the middle of not only a family, but put you in the middle of the right friends. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't ever give up anything. I was talking to a young man not too long ago. He was telling me, man, since I've come to the Lord, he said, I've had to get all new friends. He said, the friends I used to hang out with, he said, I can't hang out with them anymore. Not if I'm going to be serious about the Lord. But I'm going to tell you what, God will give you more friends and better friends and long-lasting friends. That's the kind of God that we serve. You'll never be lonely again. 
I said, you will never be lonely again. I had a conversation a few years ago with a famous singer. If I said his name, you'd know him. And he was telling me all about the struggles of fame and drugs and all the stuff he'd gone through, bright lights and stardom and all that. And he said this. I'll never forget what he said. He said, there can be 50,000 fans screaming. And you can be the loneliest person in the world in the midst of it all. 50,000 people screaming your name. And you can stand in the middle of it and be the loneliest person in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of lonely people that are in this world. If you're not sure of that fact, just look up the statistics of folks that are trying to find somebody. Social media, online matchmaking, dating services. I'm going to tell you what, it goes on and on and on and on. This is a lonely world. People go and sit in Panera Bread and Starbucks and crank up their laptop just because they don't want to study by themselves at home. They don't know nobody in that restaurant. I'm going to tell you what will cure that. Three kids will cure that. You'll look for quiet places to go. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, when a man or a woman gives their heart to God, can I tell you, you're never alone? I said, you are never alone. He not only heals your body, hallelujah, he gives you the help you need socially. God will put the right people in your life, hallelujah. You'll never be by yourself. You can walk the halls, young people of a public school, and think you're the only person serving God, but you don't know what God is doing. He's walking right next to you. He's preparing somebody for you. He will help you, not only heal you, but he helps you also. And then he also gave him the hope that he needed. Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I was a coming, there was somebody else stepping down in front of me. He'd lost all hope. And the Bible speaks of men and women having no hope and without God in this world, Ephesians 2.12. Sin affects the physical, the social, and the spiritual realms of the human personality. This man had a diseased body, he had a defiled soul, and he had a dead spirit. And in theological terms, we oftentimes speak of man's total depravity. And by that we mean that sin has invaded the entire being. It is no wonder then that Jesus addressed him with these words, Wilt thou be made whole. Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, Matthew 9, 12. It is a sick world, but I've come today to tell you about a complete cure. A complete cure. I have a complete Savior. And He is the hope that you need, He is the health that you need, and He is the help that you need. Those were the words of divine diagnosis that he spoke. But then he spoke the words of divine deliverance. The words of divine deliverance. And that's in verse 8. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Let's unpack that for just a moment. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Those were the words from the Savior. That was deliverance that was threefold. First of all, it was a spiritual deliverance. The spiritual deliverance is, uh, I believe, uh, shown to us in the simple word, rise. That was the word which quickened his dead spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, the Lord always starts with the spirit. You don't remember anything else I say today, remember that. He always starts with the spirit. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul could say, You hath he 
quickened. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. There's something about sin that just turns the light off of your spirit. You just don't feel like there's ever going to be anything any better than this. This is the nature of spiritual deliverance. It involves not only the remission of past sins, but the regeneration of our spirit. It flips the light back on. Wait a second, I don't have to live like this. Wait a second, I can do better than this. This is not who I am. Something comes alive. It is in our spirit when the lame man and the healing pool and the master came together. There was health and there was hope. When the little lad and a few loaves of bread and fishes and the master came together, there was sufficiency and even abundance. A thirsty woman, an ancient well, and the master, when they came together, there were streams of living water flowing into human hearts. A rugged fisherman, a broken net, and the master came together. And there was discipleship and a story to tell. Whenever a human need and sincere faith and the master come together, ladies and gentlemen, there is transformation of the spirit. No wonder they said we are a new creature in Christ Jesus because my God does not heal on a superficial level. He doesn't just deal with the symptoms. He goes down and finds the root causes. And I want to say this to you today. God doesn't need you to be all together when you come to him. You ought to come up with your broken pieces and bring them all to the Lord and let God put it all back together again. He's the one who can complete the work and make you whole. If we bring our lives weak and insufficient to the master, he will remake us. Because he's not just our spiritual deliverance, but then he said, take up thy bed, which is a moral deliverance. Take up thy bed. At that command, this man rolled it up and put it on his shoulder. Someone has said that he did this in order to show that he was making no provision for a relapse he didn't keep it out there in case something was to happen to pull him back he rolled it up and was ready to get rid of it that oh think about this that that had carried him he was now carrying it Woo, hallelujah that that used to enslave you You've now given it up as a sacrifice unto the Lord. It's not your master any longer. You become its master. Come on, somebody. You don't need to get high anymore. You don't need to get drunk anymore. You don't need another immoral relationship anymore. You've already given all that up to the Lord, and now you're the master of your own decisions and your own choices because God's given you a new way of thinking. Transformation in your mind. He rolled it up. I'm not going to need this anymore. And it could be for you and I that we have been laid low by temptation again and again. You may have tried discipline and reformation, but without the delivering word of Jesus Christ, you'll never know moral deliverance. That that gives you the moral authority to live above sin. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a wonderful day when you can pick up and carry away the very thing that symbolized our moral defeat. Observe that this man had the courage to carry his bed, even on the Sabbath day. <laughs> and the Jews had a problem with that. They were still hung up uh, on the Old Testament laws uh, that said, we can't have that, it's the Sabbath. This man had so much a moral authority because God had healed him. 
he wasn't even worried about the nitpicking. <laughs> you can't carry the bed. It's a Sabbath day. Carrying furniture on the set. Oh, my goodness. That kind of work was prohibited by the rabbis in their strict interpretation of the fourth commandment. But when we know the deliverance of Jesus Christ, we fear no one but God. <laughs> Somebody said, you can't do that. You can't. But you say, hey, uh, all I can do is tell you uh, that I used to be a sinner, but now I'm saved. Uh, I used to be a slave to that, but now I'm worshiping God, uh, and I'm going to keep on glorifying God. And it may be unorthodox, uh, and it may not fit in your box, uh, but God is good. Uh, and God is the one who did the work. So I'm going to worship him. Oh, hallelujah. And then came a physical deliverance. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. New life was flowing through him as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem that day. And it is God, and I believe his will for us, apart from the mystery of suffering, that we should be quickened in our mortal bodies and in his presence glow with abundant life and vigor. One day, we're going to have perfect incorruptible bodies like our Lord's but in the meantime however God intends that we should know his supernatural strength even when we are weak the Apostle Paul knew this some of these things he had to learn during his life and his ministry even though he records that he was afflicted by a thorn in the flesh some physical ailment that God did not deliver him from but he said after I prayed three times the Lord just simply said my grace is sufficient in other words, you're going to have to learn to live with it. But he said, here's what I found. Through all my afflictions and all of my despair, I choose to declare, and he did in 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then am I strong. Oh, I would today that somebody would tell the devil, you may have knocked me down a few times, and I may even be weak in my body this morning, but I rise today to say that in my spirit and in my soul, I've never been stronger because my God is going to do a mighty work. And then finally, Jesus spoke the words of divine direction. Afterward, Jesus, finding him in the temple, said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. I want you to observe that it is in the temple that Jesus gives divine direction. Ladies and gentlemen, we all need the church. It is for the saint and the sinner. It's for those that are hurting and for those that are healed. Jesus found this man in the temple. I said he found him in the temple. And he told him to do three things. Number one, he told him, live a life of certainty. Afterward, Jesus finding him in the temple and said unto him, behold, thou art made whole. He wanted to proclaim it one more time. Don't let anything ever take that from you. Don't ever, don't ever let doubt creep up in your life. Go from this day forward and live a life of certainty. I feel like telling somebody in this audience today. I don't know what the devil's been whispering in your ear this week, but I've come to tell you that it's God who saved you, and it's God who's going to keep you, and it's God who's going to take you home. Live a life of certainty. Once I was lost, but now I'm saved. 
You ought to declare it every day you get up in the morning. You ought to declare this is the day that the Lord hath made. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'm not who I was. Oh, I'm not where I want to be yet, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. My God has brought me a mighty long way. You ought to declare the promises and the works of God. One of the devices of the devil, I believe, is to rob us of certainty. John could write to his converts and say, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. Everybody say no. Know. That ye have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. That ye would know that ye have eternal life. When God says to us, you are made whole, it is not something to question or even debate. It is something to believe and to rejoice in. I know because I know that I know that I know. Come on, somebody. Oh, there ought to be a certainty. I'm going to tell you what, praise bubbles up out of a place of certainty. If you're not sure or you're in doubt, it puts you in a circumspect position of observance. But when you know that you know, good God, you can't keep it quiet. Somebody said, how come you folks down there worship God so much? Because if you knew what we used to be, we have found a place of absolute certainty. I know. This ain't something that somebody told me. This ain't something my dad and my granddad. I know it for myself. I know it for myself. He's the one that kept me. He's the one that saved me. Praise bubbles up from a place of certainty in him. And then he said, live a life of victory. When he said, sin no more. Not just a life of certainty, but now he said, live a life of victory. Jesus would have never said such a thing to tantalize a man if it were not possible. Jesus not only gives the command but he also gives the enabling power. And we have promises to support this glorious truth. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace, Romans 6. Thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Romans chapter 8. There is a certainty and there is a victory. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to give the devil a black eye this morning, you ought to find a place of certainty and victory. And you ought to use your mouth to declare it for the world to hear. He has brought me a mighty long way. And I'm going to make it because he is the God who has made me whole. Then as you're standing to your feet this morning, he says, now live a life of loyalty. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. The life of faith is a life of utter dependence on the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, God ordained it that way to teach us that there's only one place of victory, and that is in Jesus Christ. Peter could walk on the water, but he had to keep his eyes on his master. And the moment he looked away, the boisterous waves overtook him and he began to sink. Ladies and gentlemen, we must press forward, keeping our eyes on Jesus. 
The Lord Jesus never does anything by halves. He always goes all the way. He's not only the double cure. He's not only the triple cure. He is the healer completely from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Come on down here, Floyd. Body, soul, and spirit. I want, I want to give right now an invitation to everybody in this building. If you need the Lord right now, the God of completeness, to heal you, deliver you, but there's something inside of you right now. You feel faith welling up inside of you as the Word of God has gone forth. And you believe that God will give you that complete cure. Or you've never asked God to come into your heart and to take over the Lordship of every single circumstance that you're facing. But today you're saying, Lord, I'm going to turn it all over to you. Why don't you come on right now? Step out of where you're standing right now. If you've never repented of your sins, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, or maybe you have, but you find yourself wrestling with some things, and God is calling you right now to give it over to Him, to turn it loose, and to put it on the altar. Come on, right now. The God of a complete cure will heal you and deliver you in Jesus' name. God bless you as you come.